0: You're listening to the Matthew Sermon Series at Sojourn Midtown. In this series, we are following Jesus as He calls us to take on His yoke so that we may experience true flourishing. Well, good morning, church. Uh, My name is Pastor Nathan, and I have the joy of being able to shepherd you Uh, during this process, and I've been pastoring here for for several years, and it's a joy to be here. I'll admit, these are difficult and strange times, but what a joy it is to dig back into the book of Matthew. And it's been more than a month now since we have been in the book of Matthew. So I want to just slow down for a moment and bring us up to speed as we consider what is happening right now. So Jesus is, he's deep in public ministry, and he is teaching the kingdom of God. He's healing the sick, He's opposing a false religion, and he's investing his life uh, at the margins of society. So as we jump into Matthew 15, let's begin with the word of prayer. Father, you are good and gracious. Father, you are meeting us in these moments of scarcity, in these moments of confusion, and you are bringing us comfort Father, I pray where we lack comfort, that you bring comfort this morning. Where we lack understanding, you bring us understanding this morning. And I pray that Matthew 15 will speak to the very depths of our heart. It's in your name I pray. Amen. So as we jump into Matthew 15, Jesus has just finished a long line of miracles that have really testified to his divinity and his countercultural ministry. In chapter 14, we see the feeding of the 5,000. And really, Jesus feeds upwards of 20,000 people using just a few loaves and a few fish. He did what seemed impossible. Next, Jesus walks on the water during a raging storm. He gets in the boat with his disciples and he calms the sea because Jesus has power over nature. And finally, Jesus travels to a place called Gennesaret, And the people hear that Jesus is there and he proceeds to heal the sick once again. Actually, in verse 36 of chapter 14, it says that people touched the very hem of his robe and they were healed. Jesus has power over sickness and death. Jesus multiplies food to feed the hungry. He walks on water to calm the sea. He heals the sick and the dying. And what chapter 14 is, is a declaration to God's divine nature. And it's a declaration to the beauty of God's compassion, and it infuriates the Pharisees and the scribes. It drives them crazy. Jesus had crossed some sort of line, some sort of line where the, the Pharisees and the, the Sadducees and the other religious leaders decided he had to be stopped. So, what the Pharisees and scribes do is they send a delegation to confront Jesus, really to trap Jesus. But they don't send just the normal Galilean delegation. They send the big dogs. They send uh, the men from Jerusalem. So I want us to stop here as we've set the stage of, of what's about to take place this conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders, because we need to notice that something is more powerful is happening behind the scenes. It's more than just a discussion about traditions, uh, more than a fight over law. There is a cosmic battle at hand. There is something happening that sets the stage for the cross and the life-changing power of the gospel. And I love how Paul Tripp frames this idea of what's happening in our passage. This is what he says. This passage really does march us to the cross because it defines the collision between Christ and the Pharisees, the collision that would finally make them determine that this man had to die. It also defines the need for the cross because what we see is we see the tradition, the, the adding to the law, the moralism, the legalism of the day coming in conflict with the beauty of the gospel, the kingdom of God, and they're colliding head on. And this cosmic battle is setting the stage for this truth. And here's the truth of the passage. True holiness is a matter of the heart. True holiness can't be found in, in outward Law keeping it can't be found in moralism. It can't be found in hollow religion. True holiness is rooted in the inner life, and once it's in the inner life, it flows out into our everyday thoughts, our everyday words, and our actions. So let's start by seeing that outward religion does not, and it cannot please God. As we look to the, at the we look to the scriptures in chapter fifteen, we see that these religious leaders from Jerusalem come to put Jesus in his place. They're the ones who are controlling the narrative, right? They think so. They, they're the ones who are, people look up to. They're the ones who are dictating what religion is. And when they come, they're watching Jesus and they notice that his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Uh, it's an interesting passage to preach during COVID-19 because probably what's happening in your home right now is all your kids are saying, hey, look, mom and dad, I don't have to wash my hands. If I washed my hands, I'd be like the Pharisees. You don't want me to be like a Pharisee, do you? Let me be clear. Kids, you need to wash your hands. Adults, you need to wash your hands. It's nasty if you don't wash your hands. We need to be hygienic. But this passage is not talking about hygiene. This passage is talking about finding your godliness in the wrong place. This was not simple hand washing either. It wasn't just turning on the the faucet, putting soap on and singing your favorite song as you wash your hands. It was this elaborate show to declare your righteousness. And what had happened is, is uh, the, the priestly order would often wash their hands and their feet before going into the, t- the tabernacle. And the religious leaders had taken that Old Testament law and they had added all of these other things onto it. And then they had given it to all the people. So if you were truly holy, if you truly love God, you would wash in a certain way before you ate your meals. So when the Pharisees saw that uh, The followers of Jesus were not doing this. They thought they had trapped Jesus and his disciples. But you know, really, this is just one example, one confrontation of of what is happening between the religious leaders and Jesus. This is just one way the religious leaders were seeking to earn their own righteousness by keeping the law. And when these men come to condemn Jesus, Jesus has his own question. They question him, and as he often does, he comes back with his own question. He he asked, why do you break God's command because of your tradition? They ask, why do your disciples not wash their hands? Do you not love God? That's the implication. Jesus responds, why do you break the very command of God, the laws of God by by keeping your tradition? You see, the Pharisees and scribes were so concerned by keeping their own laws. and, And in fact, they were trying to get others to keep their laws that they failed to see their own sinful, broken hearts. These men were standing in front of God himself. Just think about the story. These men are confronting the creator and sustainer of the world. They're they're trying to call out and trap the only hope they have for eternal life. They fail to see the gospel in flesh standing right in front of them. Now, before we critique, we do the same. We do the same. You and I can often get so caught up in what we deem as right and wrong or what we deem as our own traditions and we, we push those on other people. We use them as, as leverages to judge and critique. We find people around us to measure our own lives by. And don't pretend like you don't do this. You, you find someone in the room or someone in your life and you say, well, at least I'm not that person, right? Right. We look down on our friends and our relatives and others so that we can exalt our own achievements and we can exalt our own morality. And this does not please the Lord. Does not please the Lord. What God wants us to experience is a real picture of our hearts, who we are on the inside so that the gospel can meet us where we are and bring transformation. Jesus goes on to confront these men by pointing out that they would even swindle their own aging parents for a buck. The Pharisees had this tradition that Jesus points out, it's called Corban. And, and what Corban was is if you were a Pharisee or you were anyone, a Jew at that time, and your aging parents came to you and said they needed help, uh, which is the tradition of the day. And honestly, it's a, uh, the scriptures call us to, to love our aging parents and to sacrifice for them. But during that time, if an aging parent came to you and said, hey, I need your help, I need money, I need, I need goods, you could declare Corban over those goods or that money and that, that money or those goods would be earmarked for the temple. It would be earmarked for God. So you couldn't give them away, but you could give that, that Corban money, those Corban goods anytime, and then you could use them uh, however you saw fit. So really all this was is the, the Pharisees had taken a law. They had altered and shifted for monetary gain um, to, to build up their own self-righteousness. They were manipulating God's own law. And Jesus calls them on it. He calls them out on their, their sinful manipulation of the law. He later tells his disciples that God will uproot these religious leaders as weeds in a garden. He calls them blind guides who will fall into a pit. We, when we look at the New Testament, Jesus' words and the way he speaks to the religious leaders is often not kind because he's calling out the heart of these sinful men. He's calling them out for the manipulation and the trickery that they impose upon other people. And this is the first time uh, in scripture we see in the New Testament where Jesus calls out the Pharisees. It's the first time he calls them hypocrites publicly. He uses that word hypocrite. So what is a hypocrite? The original word hypocrite, it means literally actor an actor. Now, an actor is a wonderful thing if you're on a stage, if you're performing, but if you're performing on a stage and you get off the stage and you continue that routine, if your life is pretending to be something or someone that you're not, you're a liar. You're living a life of a lie. So when Jesus calls these men hypocrites, he's calling them liars, men and women who live lives of lies. That's exactly what these guys were doing. And more than 700 years before this very moment, Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah prophesies about these men. This is what he says. These men honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines, human commands. It's a powerful thing that Jesus does. He pulls out the very thing that they hold to, the, the, the law, the, the Old Testament. And he says, the prophets talked about you even before you were born. And says that you draw near to me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. That you uphold human commands over the very law of God. And here's the point Jesus is making it's the main point of this passage. A life of holiness that pleases God is not found in external behavior, but it's found in the heart. God will not be satisfied with words alone, He will not be satisfied with good morals, with righteous acts, with good theology. Outward righteousness is simply not what God is after. What God wants is your heart. Do you hear me? What God wants is you to your very core. Every corner of your life, every dark spot, every hidden thing, every sin that you coddle, God wants it all because he wants you. I remember, uh, Some of you may know, before I was at Sojourn, I lived overseas, and um, I remember one time leaving my house. I lived on the uh, outside, the the outskirts of a a big city in Nepal called Kathmandu, and I was leaving my house. I was just going for a walk. Right behind my house, there was just land, and I walked for like a mile behind my house, and me and a couple friends, we came upon several buildings that were kind of offset, and we just wanted to walk in and meet people. And as we walked through this little village, we realized it was a leper colony. I had never seen a leper before. I I read about them in the New Testament, but I never knew that they still existed until that moment where I came face to face with a leper. Didn't have fingers. Um, Some of them were missing their noses or their ears. It was a, a shocking sight, like a visceral experience. And I remember Seeing these men and women living in isolation, ravaged by a flesh eating disease and not knowing what to do. So many of them were horribly disformed. But when I sat with them, we sat in their homes and we drank tea and, and we ate food and uh, we told stories and we laughed together. What I realized was that they were so beautiful. Because this, this leper colony, the majority of those men and women had come to Jesus. And even though outwardly they looked like they were dying, inwardly they were made new. They were transformed on the inside and it poured out. It poured out in the room and we experienced life and love and joy. And it ingrained in me this understanding of life happens on the inside, that these men and women had joy unspeakable. And it as I was studying this passage this week, I remembered my friends who were lepers and the joy they had in Jesus, the life they had in Jesus. Friends, although we see on the outside, I saw a leper and I saw missing hands and, and missing noses and missing body parts. What, what Jesus saw in my friends was the heart. And the same is true for us. We look on the outside, but God looks on the heart. It's within a transformed heart that our holiness will be found. And inward holiness is what God desires. Outward righteousness alone does not please the Lord, but inward holiness is what God desires from us. Jesus's point is what matters is not what goes into our mouths. What what dirt is on our hands, what matters is found in the heart, inside of the inner man, into the core, the deepest part of who we are. So if we gossip or we lash out in anger or we fill our minds with lust, our greed. These are pictures into our soul. And we can't pretend that's not true. We can't, as I said, have a a sin that we coddle and we keep close and we keep hidden um, and and pretend like everything is okay because those things, outward and inward sin, the things that we hide and the things we put on display, all of those are a reflection of our heart. Good or bad, who we truly are is found within our heart. So at the end of the day, a long work day, you've, you've You've worked hard and you've given your all. You come home and your kids are screaming and they're disobedient. How you respond in that moment is a reflection of your heart. So you're driving on the interstate and someone pulls out in front of you and they have the audacity to honk their horn at you. In that moment, how you respond is a reflection of your heart. You're home alone, nobody's around. You think if I watch porn or I drink myself to sleep or you do some other hidden sin that no one will know. What you do during these times of isolation is a reflection of your heart. Or your your friend gets a new job or gets married or has a child or, or gets some other thing that you have cried out to Jesus for, that you've longed for, that you've worked so hard for and they seem to get so easy. How you think and how you feel in that moment is a reflection of your heart. These are all examples of what Jesus is teaching in this passage. Verse 18, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart and this defiles a person. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. These are the things that defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile a person. So I would ask you, in the hallways, in the bedrooms, in the car rides, in the locked doors of your life, when life presses in, when life goes horribly wrong, when no one is looking, what functionally rules your heart? What functionally rules your heart? What captures your attention? What do you long for? What do you place your hope in? It's in these moments and in these corners of your life, you have to ask the question, is Jesus still my Lord? Is Jesus Lord of your life or is he Lord of part of your life? Part of your life. The realization that our hearts are darker than we know or that we dare realize is a terrifying thing. And I pray you realize that, that as you reflect on this sermon and as the Holy Spirit speaks inside of you, you can see that this list that we just read, these like horrendous sins that Jesus talks about coming from the heart, those are things that could come from your heart. are things that could come from my heart. But we must remember that although we are still sinful and we are capable of those things, if you are a Christian, you have been changed at your very core. Your heart has been changed. The difference between these self-righteous leaders and the life of true holiness is the person of Jesus. And that's what's so beautiful about this story that we just read. The difference between the disciples and the way the disciples were moving in their life And the the religious leaders, these self-righteous men, the difference was the man in the middle, Jesus himself. He made all the difference. The very one who called out the religious leaders and pulled the disciples in and taught them how to live holy, he was the one that would bring about change to the very hearts of those who follow him. Through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, he has changed us at our very core, the deepest part of us to the darkest corners of our lives. It's more than self-help principles. It's more than bootstrap Christianity, more than a heart tune-up. What we experience through Jesus is a heart transplant. Jesus has literally removed your heart and given you a new heart. So although you struggle with that sin, that enemy will always pursue you. Until as long as we are this side of heaven, sin will always be with us. But we can have hope that we've been given a new heart. And as we follow Jesus, as we pursue him, as he brings transformation in our lives, we will and can have victory over sin. Let's be reminded of the freedom that we have over sin's oppressive rule, the freedom that we have in Jesus. Look at Romans chapter six. I'll read verse 11 through 14. So you also consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live do not give in to sinful desires. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. What a beautiful, beautiful promise for us that we don't have to be under sin's rule any longer, that we can be under the freedom of God's grace. So church, The call to live our lives in true holiness is not something we do by ourselves. Again, I I just said bootstrap Christianity is not what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to live a true life of holiness dependent upon his death and resurrection and dependent upon the spirit he gives us. And that's exactly how we're called to live our life through the grace of God, empowered by the spirit of God. And through these things, we can cultivate a life of holiness. So in in our last few minutes here, I wanna share with you six principles about cultivating a life of inner holiness. Again, this is not something we can, uh, a to-do list that we check off of. There are things that we long for that we cultivate in our life as we walk with the Spirit. Number one, true holiness starts with a transformed heart. True holiness starts with a transformed heart. Let me ask you, do you belong to Jesus? I didn't say, do you go to church? I didn't say, do you call yourself a Christian? I asked you, do you belong to Jesus? Have you turned away from your sin? To repent literally means you turn away from your sin to Jesus. Have you turned away from your sin to Jesus? Have you trusted in his work on the cross and the resurrection? Are you a child of God? Paul writes, examine yourself to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Christ Jesus is among you. If not, if not, you have failed the test of genuine faith. So 2 Corinthians calls us to examine our hearts. Do we belong to Jesus? It's a legitimate question to ask. And if you're listening today and you have come to the realization that you have never given your life to Jesus, today is the day. As everything in your life has been stripped away, maybe friends or job or whatever it might be for you, how COVID-19 has like wrenched life in a difficult way. My challenge to you is look deep within and ask yourself, do I belong to Jesus? And if you do not, today is your day. Set aside whatever self-righteous law that you're seeking to follow and run to Jesus. Embrace Jesus and the life he has for you. Right now, we're gonna uh, drop an email in the live stream link. And if you would like to talk to a pastor about following Jesus with your life, we would love to follow up with you and talk about what it means to be a Christian and to grow as a Christian. So that's number one. Number two, cultivate your inner life with God. Cultivate your inner life with God. Make time in your daily life to be with Jesus, talk with Him, read the Bible, meditate on what it says, slow down enough to hear His voice, make space in your life to walk with Jesus, know him, and make cultivating your inner life a core value of your life. As you soak in your relationship with Jesus, what Jesus will begin to do through the power of the spirit is he will begin to change the character of your heart. All these things that we long for, he will change within our heart. We will begin to take on the very image of Christ. We will begin to develop the character that Jesus longs for us to have. Number three, know your heart. Know your heart. Make repentance from sin and confession a daily routine. Now this is hard work. It's hard work to do self-examination, to to look in and to ask the spirit to reveal sin in our life. And although it's hard work, it's beautiful work. The fruit of it is wonderful. And number four is connected to number three. Know your heart. And number four, kill sin in your life. As you examine your heart, you'll come to see the truth that our hearts are still sinful. This side of heaven will will never be rid of this terrible enemy. But I love what the Puritan John Owen once wrote. He said, do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Kill the sin in your life. Number five, weave your life together with others. Weave your life together with others. Growing in holiness does not happen alone. It doesn't. And I hope In the midst of this season, you're realizing that, that the isolated life, the lone ranger life is not the life that God has given for us to have. It takes a local church and a deep community of friends to grow in character and holiness. Growing in the godly life is a community affair. Embrace others around you. I wanna give you just a few questions to think about when you think about community. Who do you share life with in deep and rich ways? Who do you... uh, share meals with and share the good times and the bad times? Who do you open your life to on a regular basis? Who in your life can you be open and honest with about your sin? And then let me ask you, who have you given permission to to point out sin in your life, to ask you the hard questions so that you can be honest with them? If you don't have someone like this in your life, find someone, ask someone to have that depth of community so you can grow together in holiness. Number six, finally, number six, let your life reflect the fruits of the Spirit. Now remember Matthew 15 tells us that true holiness begins with a transformed heart and that holiness works its way out. So when we come to faith and the Holy Spirit works in our life and brings transformation, that transformation of the heart works out into our words, into our thoughts, and into our actions. And one clear way that we can see this happening is we begin to reflect the fruits of the Spirit. So as you walk the Christian life, as you depend upon the Spirit, make it your aim to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are beautiful reflections of an inward life that has been changed. So the difference between the manufactured morality of these religious leaders and the true holiness at the heart that Jesus calls us to is perfectly pictured in communion. And in communion, the night before Jesus was betrayed, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took a loaf of bread and he, he took a cup of wine and he gave them this picture of what the gospel is. That the, the body of Jesus would be broken so that we could experience a transformed life. The blood of Jesus was shed so that we could have hope and life eternal. Now, We're not gonna take communion again until we meet in this place. It's something to long for. But what we can do is we can stop and reflect on the fact that Jesus gave his very life, his all so that we could be transformed so that we could be brought near to God and experience a life that before that we could not experience. Jesus fulfilled the law with his very body and his blood. And as we, we think about this and as we meditate on this, I want to em- encourage us, I want to urge us to cultivate the inner life of holiness. Because as we experience the gospel, let it flow out to serve, to love, to live lives of humility. Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com Midtown.